Good morning, Murray Walker. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I came to the first one and I've been to all the others. since. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Gentlemen, start your engine! Good afternoon, Radio For those who don't know, Radio Hotman. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, it is a big shebang. Sorry about that. Diabolical, uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotman. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Good afternoon, Radio Here he is. Fogwa. Hi, guys. Whoa. Hello, folks. Johnny. How are you? Jeez, you... How's Pommyland? You're looking well. It's all that Northern Hemisphere sunshine. It's very sunny here. Have you been to Wimbledon yet, folks? No, you know I what it is. Uh, are you going? No, I doubt it. Oh, right. I thought had, you would have been had, down had there. I thought of going on. along and lining up late in the day for just normal punter tickets, but yeah. no, doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah. No... Been I... watching on television. All the Aussies are out. It's a disaster for Australian tennis. True. You can't first get time, in. You can't get first time since 1938, there are no Aussies in the draw anywhere. Not the well, the main draw anyway. Maybe in the juniors. Mm. I I just realised why Fogs looks so well. Because he's got a five o'clock shadow. No, because it's in the morning. Well, it is in the morning. True. Are you, yeah, probably, but... are you on your third or fourth cup of coffee, Fogs? Is that a third, is that a third? <laughs> is that a wafting and, cigarette there, just uh, on the side? And it's a big mother too. It is too. It's a a friend's mug. Well, how about that? So you've got um, the uh, the same five o'clock shadow happening that uh, nobody had in the first three positions on the Formula One uh, result on the weekend for a change. That's a curious fact that I didn't pick up on, but you're probably right, yes. Even Alonso got rid of that funny little thing underneath his top uh, bottom lip. They're now, all uh, clean shaven for a change. Are you yeah. getting video from us, folks? No. Oh, why not? Oh. I don't know, I'm just staring at the arse end of your car. <laughs> Which is a pretty neat trick from London. Are you in yeah, London? There you go. Well, folks, would you like to introduce the show? We're episode 213. It's 2.13. Would you like to go for it, folks? Since you haven't been on for a while. Uh, but I can never remember the preamble thing. Oh, you can. Well, I'll give no, you a... No. It, it's a light-hearted look at the world of motor racing, cool emerging technologies, gadgets and barbecues, and wine, Australian style. Episode... 213. Take it away, folks. Welcome, viewers, to episode 213 of Radio Hot Lap. It's that weird show that takes a, well, they say light-hearted look at this, that and the other thing, but really, it's just strange. And <laughs> it doesn't get stranger than the two co-hosts, Johnny Hart and JP. Oh, and the dog. Mustn't forget the dogs. How are you, from London? The Queen sends her regards. <laughs> to you. We're not amused. Well, she sent you the letter early. <laughs> the telegram. I will, 
I wasn't in the Queen's Birthday Awards. Very strange. You know, I would have thought after 40 years of dedicated service to motorsport journalism, really, you know, I, I deserve a gold. you might get there eventually. Or at least just for being venerable. Venerable? Oh, no less. <laughs> Very ver- venerable. <laughs> so, so what's up, boys? What are we talking about in the show Well, today? We're, what, obviously... What are the viewers going to be hanging on the edge of their seats waiting to hear? Well, I, I, oh. I think they'd be very keen to hear about what you've been up to. Yeah. Um, uh, so, over so. in your, uh, of your, you know, ramblings and travels and things like that. More, um, you know, from an American perspective, how you've been treated by the TSA. Um, from the European side... You know, how yeah, the weather's been. You know, and, 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 and was the Nissan bivouac up spec? That's right. Did you get lots the of free grog? Yes. <laughs> well, the TSA... Well, Let's talk to, Nissan bivouacs. Plenty of uh, full body scans in the airports in the United States, so uh, no secrets over there anymore. There were some raised eyebrows. I can't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't there's believe been it. a lot of controversy about those full body scanners, but you know they're really not such a big deal, and they're a hell of a lot better than getting patted down by some clumsy oaf. <laughs> Absolutely, they probably so, just yeah. It's um, it's been something of a grand tour. I've been away what a month now, and did the Indy 500, which is always a highlight. The Detroit Grand Prix, which um, that was pretty good actually. It all could have come unstuck at the end with the. Bitch. Track with the track breaking up, just like any other road in Michigan and certainly around Detroit. But uh, they uh, fixed it up pretty quick. Um, Had some time in Detroit with a mate and then angry to Le Mans, as you pointed out. And that was, again, very special, but for a different kind of reason. It wasn't a riveting race this year. And to answer your question about the bivouac, (laughs) nice to see you reading, Johnny. Where I stayed for a couple of nights on the track, yeah, it was, um, you know, wasn't the Ritz, but uh, it was more comfortable than a tent. It was a basically a big temporary warehouse with um, little cubicles with beds in them that um, had been set up, and um, yeah, with all the facilities. So as I said, a lot better than your normal uh, folks, camping folks. But it was set in, in, in you a can't one, get in. one of the normal <laughs> shut up one of the normal <laughs> camping areas. So I'll tell you. The fans at Le Mans, after hours, they are just completely feral, you know? I mean... Like Bathurst in the old days, folks. My column in auto action this week. I mean, if the behaviour that was going on there happened at Bathurst, you know, the, the, the riot police and the army would be brought in. But, you know, <laughs> having said that, not critically, I, I loved it, you know? The fact that there were people doing burnouts and some guy racing a go-kart up and down the street outside where I was staying and fireworks going off and, you know, even one stage, a guy in an M3 going through the tunnel out of the circuit, he was doing burnouts, you know, and the pedestrians were, were loving it and the, there was a guy in a commercial van behind him, you know, front-wheel drive thing, nothing special. He was smoking them up too. Crowd loved that. So they all got in the spirit and the cops just, you know, Shrug, the Gallic shrug, you know, and just let it all go past, you know, there's no real harm being done. So the event, the atmosphere of Le Mans is what I love more than the race, you know, honestly, 24 hours of a, of a race, you know, kill me now. But um, wandering around in the fairground with all the rides and all the people, yeah, it, it's really good fun. And 
So, sorry, Johnny, I interrupted you. What did you want to say? Yeah, like, did, did you get a root? <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> I mean, in the bivouac. He's pulling a few that's funny a very, faces. That's a very inappropriate question, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's not like anybody's listening, folks. I mean, it was a, it was not, <laughs> it's not like Le Mans by the water wheel. Oh, gulp of coffee. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, about they, they didn't have a, a water wheel outside. You know, no, they didn't. With, no, because it would be... Why would they? No, just trying to create the ambience. <laughs> Suitable. The, the ambulance, ambulance. Yeah. Mm. big big white thing with red flashing light. But you were over when you were over you were over there as, uh, with Nissan. But was there, you know, more more emphasis on Nissan's involvement in the LMP two category, the Delta Wing, or the Academy, or was it evenly based? I mean, the Delta Wing was just short by sort of attention getter, but. From a saturation point of view, they were powering the predominant many of the LMP2 cars. And then, of course, you know, to have someone who's actually learned how to <laughs> drive a, a race car, like with the Brundles, um, from from a console, that that's another radical sort of perspective again. You're correct. Nissan did have a big presence at Le Mans this year, much larger than, well, before, I say before in, in recent memory, maybe back in the 90s when they were there, they had a, a big presence, but uh, all the attention was focused on the Delta Wing. It overwhelmed everything that Nissan was doing, certainly, and pretty much everything that anyone else was doing. I mean, Audi and Toyota probably were a bit miffed that the Delta Wing, which was never going to win, could never win anyway, officially, was getting all this attention, and it got huge attention. All over the world it was getting coverage, you know, in the weeks and the days and the hours leading up to the race. So it was a very successful um, promotion in terms of making Nissan visible. Um, its strength, of course, was in the LMP2 class. And I think overall, Nissan had something like a, was powering a quarter of the field. Um, in the end, for all the great numbers they had, they actually didn't, um, didn't do, all that, do all that well. But the Delta Wing, ran strongly while it ran until it got punted out by, mm. um, as I described it, the errant Toyota. Um, Nakajima at the wheel, the karting in the Porsche, after the Porsche curves, yes. But that was was fair and nice of the Toyota, um, as we mentioned, Toyota um, staff of last, well, we mentioned last week, that they actually went and bothered to say, we're sorry, which we thought really equated to, look, we, we, we want to be here and we want to be respectful in this category. Well, that's the least they could have done. It was pretty blatant. Um, punted the Delta Wing into the wall and um, the car was damaged beyond repair. The team felt pretty confident that the thing was going to go a lot further and may have made the distance and finishing the race would have been as good as a win for them. So the concept showed promise. It's a weird-looking thing. I don't really know where its place in motorsport is, but I applaud the innovation and the lateral thinking involved in the project and hope it can move forward. Nissan are going to keep backing the Delta Wing project and try and take it further on where nobody knows still. Well, Don Panels has put his hand up. That's what I was going to say. Don has put his hand up to say that they would like to see that come into ALMS. And also um, with, with 
with Panos um, being a, a manufacturer as well, um, from with from the GeForce chassis brand, they've got that facility there in uh, in in Brasselton to do. So it appears it'll be one of many Delta Wing chassis being built. Although I, we never got quite to the bottom of that about what the what the chassis was built on, whether it was a derivative of the Aston Martin AMR one. Uh, it wasn't a derivative; it was the tub, right? The complete monocoque, the central section. So from you know the it was one bit that the front of the AMR back one. to the engine mounting area. Um, it was from the uh, very unsuccessful AMR one of last year. It was done purely to um, facilitate getting the car into the race because that that um, tub had already complied with all the FIA safety rules, you know, crash testing and all that. So yeah, right. um, it was uh, a very expedient way of, of getting it done in the future. I, I presume they'll do their own chassis, as it were. But the future of the thing is very much up in the air. As far as I understand it, there's a good chance that it may contest the final two rounds of the World Endurance Championship, which I think are in Japan and China, or the other way around. And then more likely, or most likely, in the Petit Le Mans um, in October. Um, I mean, ALMS, the American Le Mans series, is, you know, you would think that is the one series that would embrace the Delta Wing because the same people are involved in the series, are involved in the project. Well, certainly as far as Don Panos is concerned, um, so that's probably its best chance for some sort of future and to eventually though the car's got to be aligned with some sort of aligned with some sort of category you know within the sports car racing rules most probably LMP2 I suppose that's where it's performance wise is closest to and um, certainly I would imagine that's what would happen if the car is to go back as an official entry to Le Mans next year and that again is undecided so um, yeah, it was a brave project the thing looked um, strange on the track, but you know it got around pretty quick. It wasn't far off the pace of the leading LMP2s. Um, so you know, all round, but for bad luck, you know, it was a job well done. And as I say, uh, an exciting project um, for, for Nissan. It you know wasn't such a great performance overall, but um, Martin Brundle, you know, who was co-driving with his Son Alex, he certainly had a great time. Brundle, I had a long chat with him, and he, he just loves Le Mans, and he just loves racing. You know, he's um, he's uh, hit 50 and more, but he still loves getting behind the wheel of a race car, and uh, he had a hell of a time. And and they were pretty competitive. You know, they weren't front runners, but they were pretty competitive. So that was all part of the the great tapestry that is Le Mans 24 hours. And of course, um, it was just an Audi walkover. Yeah, wasn't um, in the end, they had no opposition. They were fighting amongst themselves, and even better for them, you know, their brand new car, the e-tron Quattro, with the, well, I suppose in simple terms, that's four-wheel drive. Well, for part of the time anyway, with the uh, the hybrid um, power plant driving the front wheels at over 120 kilometres per hour, so it only got the benefit of the four-wheel drive and the extra boost at high speed, not out of the corners. Whereas the Toyota hybrid, which was petrol engine as opposed to the Audi's diesel engine, um, it had its um, hybrid power boost available, you know, almost at will, certainly out of some of the corners. And you could see that where sometimes the Toyota could leap away out of the slower corners from the Audi's, but Toyota was a big ask for them. They did pretty well. They had pace, but 
the thing was never going to uh, survive the distance, and on top of that, they had bad luck. Yeah, Folks, did you luck. get to have a <coughs> excuse me a, <coughs> a closer look at the uh, at the Toyotas um, and the and the Audi e-tron Quattros to determine whether they were using a flywheel or a lithium-ion or supercapacitor um, sort of uh, hybrid system? Uh, the Audi certainly used a flywheel. It's the flywheel energy storage system developed by the Williams, or an offshoot of the Williams Formula One team, mm. in fact. So it had a flywheel arrangement storing the energy. Uh, and the Toyota... No. Don't know. I think the. Something, then I think the something si rings a bell in my head about supercapacitors. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I, look that closely. I have to look into it, but I have a feeling that the same, a similar system uh, that was used by Audi was also um, <clears throat> in the Porsche 997 GT3 that uh, ran at um, a hybrid car that ran in the Nurburgring 24 hour in 2010 and led and nearly won had it not failed for the. The, the regular yeah, engine actually failing. Right. The, it's the same exactly hybrid same system. system. Or a variation of it anyway, yeah. yeah. Both developed by Williams. It's mm. a, what do they call it? Flybrid. It's a flybrid. flybrid. So oh, okay. was it all very much sort and of... You, and you can pretty much be certain that that system will be used in some form when Porsche returns to Le Mans in 2014. Oh, certainly. Mm. Was it was it very much sort of like closed doors in the, in the hybrid area, sort of like, sorry, no, you can't have a look with it? Did you get a feeling that was we're not tell, going to tell people too much because, you know, this is a, a battle of technology going on here? Yeah, pretty much. They keep everything pretty close to their chest. And as you know, Johnny, you've been there in recent times. Um, the garage area is very tightly walled off. And unless you've got privileged access, um, you can't get in there. And even if you have, you know, VIP access, it's only a limited amount of the technology they're going to show you. So. Uh, um, unless you're a real techo, you're not going to learn much. Mm. Most importantly, yeah, yeah, a trip to Le Mans would not be complete without checking out the quality of wine in David Richard's Aston Martin fridge. Uh, did you manage to verify this? <laughs> um, <laughs> because previously, time, Johnny, there had been some shabbiness. I didn't have squatting rights this time, as we did in 2009. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I did uh, catch up with DR and had various long chats with him. Um, they're still, interestingly, long-term looking at making a return to the P1, possibly. They haven't given up on it, even though the AMR one last year was a complete debacle. But um, oddly, DR seems to think that long-term, that straight-six turbo engine, which was the Achilles heel of the car last year, does have potential. So maybe one day, Lamar, uh, Aston Martin will go back to have a crack at winning Le Mans outright, but for the foreseeable future, they're happy just uh, competing in the various GT classes, you know, GTE, Pro and Am. Yeah, quite so um, regarding the, the straight six there, because um, some other manufacturer engineers had, had, had thought huge amounts of issues would, 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 would appear with that the straight six, specifically crankshaft warping and so on like that. Did did DR, did he did he feel, um, you know, put it this way, I would have, uh, you're a more eloquent interviewer than myself, did you find it difficult to bring up the subject of AMR1 or did he bring that up himself? 
I brought it up, but he was willing to talk about it, and um, yeah, he admitted it was a cock up. Well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but essentially, it was embarrassing, and it, oh, um, sure. it was, um, it was a bad look to say the least. But as I said, he still believes that the concept was sound. It just didn't have enough time, development, or, or money put into it. But um, as I can recall, they're not giving up on it. Um, and in fact, he suggested that you know there'd been interest from elsewhere um, in maybe taking over or, or using elements of that of that engine project. I, I can't imagine it myself, but um, that's the suggestion that uh, DR put forward. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I, you know, I'm not an engineer, but just on the surface, I would have thought the uh, the format of that engine was flawed from the start. Well, pulling. For that, for that sort of racing, but you know, it, it had, it was done for a reason. It had, you know, packaging and aerodynamic advantages, um, but they didn't outweigh uh, um, the reliability issues and uh, and other issues that the engine suffered. And pulling back then, as Aston Martin did to the GT category, which they ran an AM and a Pro car in. Um, our friend Alan Simonson, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it seemed that the car expired. And I've yet to get to the bottom of that, what went on there, 90 minutes or so into it. Um, having topped the times and done a, looking really good in, in all the, all the run-up there. Don't know, don't know what, what's happening there. Um, and, but conversely, the pro car that you probably saw with Darren Turner like, go off at high speed on the right-hand side and into the wall at Indianapolis to come back and it basically just it, it didn't look like it had a, a bump in it. You know, whilst it went into the garage for a moment, it was it was amazing that it managed to get back onto the podium, um, and, um, and 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 that of course allowed Dominic Farnbacher and, uh, and uh, uh, Jamie Mello and and Fred Mako to, to bump up to second place behind the AF course Ferrari, which actually won it after starting last and having the car completely destroyed in Wednesday. Yeah, Fizzy Keller and his co-drivers did an excellent job coming back from that. Um complete wreck and it said uh, Turner's crash in the Aston Martin it was a big hit I actually did see that uh, well I saw it you know during the race on on TV not live so but as you know I mean Aston Martin they're in good company I mean the, the factory Chevy team didn't cover themselves in glory either it's a rarity <laughs> that Corvette have, that fall over there they're usually very very strong yeah but that is Le Mans isn't it it's you know, it sounds it, it sounds pretty simple on on the you know on the face of it. You know, I just build a car and make it reliable and strong and run for twenty four hours. You know, when you say it like that, not much. No, but I'm making a race car survive twenty four hours on that on that track. You know, over thirteen kilometres and most of it high speed. I mean, it's, it's a modern miracle. Really, really. It, it, I it think is. we've both yeah. we've both have gone through this many times, folks. Over a over a Chateaubriand of sorts and a light red wine in the evening discussing you know really it's it's all about winning when to go fast when to go slow and it's so easy to trip up on 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 other things that are going on there i mean hey you, you put yourself in a 458 you know the, the the visibility isn't actually that good even though you might have a little you know four inch lcd there looking out the back of the car but you know it's 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 not hard to see how the accident with Anthony Davidson and uh, the um, the driver of the of the the Pro Am 458 Ferrari came together at the end of Mulsanne. 
well, the visibility in the prototypes is... Well, even worse. Yeah, limited. And then when it's wet. <laughs> and, I mean, that accident with Davidson, I mean, that should never have happened. I mean, that was just stupidity. You know, yeah, the, the GT guy obviously didn't know, didn't see, but, you know, how many times have we seen that? And then to add insult to injury, you know, the Toyota takes off, flies through the air, flips through the air. Um, I thought that wasn't supposed to happen with all... No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, that's putting, we were the, putting the fin on it and the, yeah. the, the vents in, the, in the, the wheel arches and all that, and, and it did exactly what, you know, prototypes have been doing when they get a bit of air under them. So That's what I'm Norbert Hogg said. that there hasn't been more comment on the fact that the thing did take off, you know, not to mention that, you know, Davison was, well... Hurt badly enough, you know, a couple yeah, of for sure. broken vertebrae. Not, not he didn't break his back, as we would understand it, as was reported. But you know, he's pretty sore and sorry. Um, and you know, and by the by, um, the GT car, uh, Ferrari, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, it it took a huge hit too. It piled into the tyre barriers as well, and uh, bounced back and flipped flipped over. So uh, it was a pretty ugly scene all around, actually. Yeah, yeah, quite so. But, you know, maybe, look, it's it's easy to uh, blame an AM driver, I suppose, because, and a one which has a rather difficult name to pronounce and possibly not as heard of uh, much before. But nonetheless, uh, you know, in a 24-hour race like this, it's sort of, okay, it's probably the worst kink or smallest corner at the highest speed that you could have that all come come around and, 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 and happen and had the barrier not been there they would have just slid down the road and you know torn a corner off here and there um, mm. maybe Davison also should have gone hang on because when interviewed by Toyota he thought it was a pro sticker and then when he came up and saw an AM sticker so he was saying he went uh oh but if you see the AM wouldn't you be better off to just hang for a minute Possibly, but I mean, as far as he was concerned and looking at it, I mean, he was, what, 98% passed and cleared? Yeah, yeah. And he figured that the guy was going to hold uh, his you know, eye. I yeah. mean, he, as far as he was concerned, job done. And then suddenly, you know, at the very last minute, he just gets tapped, you know, at mm. the extremity of the left rear end of the car and, um, you know, off he goes, sailing through the air. It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's part of Le Mans and it's a hazard that will never be removed, but it's just... It's happened too often recently, in recent years, you know, for, for something not to be done. Um, what? I'm not sure, but, you know, somebody's got to be paying more attention. And I'm, and I'm afraid it looks like the onus is on, you know, the, the amateur drivers. You know, they are the weak link. And when we talk right. about getting air under the car there and looking back, you know, okay, all this has started back from, you know, the, the CLK backflips of Dumbreck and and, uh, and Weber of 99, um, and then it all being, you know, disappeared into the shed. But um, there were a couple, um, I think, at Monza, and I think mm -hmm. it was Stefano Telly uh, going into the first chicane there, and it touched someone and it got air under it. it, it, would, it one would have to look again at this particular accident to determine whether the air came under the front or the air came under the side, because the shark fin would only be able to be of assistance if it was travelling at a at a you know ninety degrees or similar angle to to where 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 it was meant to be going. So I have a feeling in this case it it, it touched another car, and so it, it basically it's already jumping up. 
you know, yeah. and it's already going suddenly he's got the air under the front. I don't think that the shark fin could have helped in that case. Well, except it got turned like 90 degrees sideways. In and that's the where air. it all started from my mm. memory. So what was the fin doing? I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, we're yeah, beyond our expertise, but on the surface, um, it looked just contrary to all the work they've been doing, all the good work they've been doing on um, modifying the aerodynamics of these sports prototypes so that they don't take off. Um, clearly some work still to be done. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. That was Le Mans. Oh, you caught up with the international poorly, didn't you? Did you see International? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paul Ryan, yes. Yeah. He would have been running around like a rabbit. He was pretty busy, but, you know, doing what he was supposed to be doing and lining up interviews um, with various folks. So, yeah, yeah, no, he was very helpful. Nice to see Rhino, as usual. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Good to see. Wasn't as many Aussies there as usual because it was... Um, uh, conflicting with the Darwin round, so uh, I think you know, like Jackie Warnock was over there and uh, and Andy Hall. That'd be about it. Oh, Nathan Wong. Uh, were they? <laughs> oh, you yeah, you, know, you weren't looking down from from the dress Big place. <laughs> Didn't see them. No, no. The only other Aussies I saw were some um, uh, motoring riders who um, general motoring riders who came over. Um, and I saw them very briefly because they were wandering around doing other things. So, but um, apart from them, I, I didn't really see any other Australian media. Plenty of international media that you know over the years I've come across, but no. But it is a big place, as you know, Johnny. So it's not unusual that I I should have missed them. I'm yes. sure they had a wonderful time as well. <laughs> Parade was wet, but did you get any decent food in town, or was it you know was it? Was it friggin' fromage and jambon again? Uh, didn't go near town. Oh, okay. Didn't go to town. No, I, I spent my time either commuting for the first couple of days back and forwards, you know, from uh, that little town about an hour away, Vendôme. Um, and, you know, so that's two hours out of my life every day that I'll never get back. <laughs> and then, as I said, Friday night and Saturday night stayed at the track, so I was locked in there. Um, so, no, I didn't get to, to go into town this time. So, your little dog... So, so little... Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a very good food or wine reporter this, this show, I'm sorry. So, folks, your little dog box at the track was that you were one of many. Was that all just journos, or was that general sort of... Invited in or a whole range of, um, of um, VIPs and right. and media. It's a, a very a very mixed group. Sort of Bain Marie dinner job. <laughs> well, no, not really. It was just it was just a big you know, one big salad bowl. <laughs> you know, it was a, a temporary hotel, if you like. Right. Um, or did you have get cubicle and service accommodation and, and you know <laughs> they had showers and uh, yep. things like that there it was simply somewhere to stay were obviously they, no raises were they unisex <laughs> no <laughs> no raises <laughs> of course uh, have a look at it I know <laughs> no hair dye <laughs> no definitely not no. so so after your Previously, were your enjoyment with Angry? <laughs> Angry from the Detroit. 
<laughs> free press. Free Mike press. Brutal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, I can't win, so I can't win a go kart, so I'll pull off. I mean, mm-hmm. off the track. So to speak. I like Mike. <laughs> Well, I'm not bragging on him. I'm not, but he, he'd expect it. I've just Rick, winded. Rick's boathouse blew down. Blew down and he, he ran off like a uh, scalded cat in the night. Um, good memories. You know, what else are we talking about? We're boring the viewers. Come on, let's yeah, move on. So, it up, boys. Well, Give me what, something. Well, so you, you're, back in something. The, you're back in the UK. You've been there for what? How long? Ever since I'm Le Mans going finished? To the or two days after Le Mans finished? I'm going to the matter. private cellar. Okay, good. Um, private cellar. <laughs> um, what's the plan from here? Are you just hanging out for the British GP? or? Uh, essentially, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I got back to London shortly after Le Mans and I've just been just kicking around. Right. Catching so up with folk. Oh, you have and, been catching um, up with people. I mean, like work-wise. Yeah, get back to serious business if you like again this weekend. I'll go down to the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Which and check be, that out. That's yep, always a, a grand occasion. Um, well, it's, you know, it's the who's who of international motorsport, really. Absolutely. Um, and people and cars. You know, huge collection. Yeah. Um, huge gathering of you know famous racing cars on display. It's a huge event. So you got over a... the course of the three days, they get well over two hundred thousand people. I think visit. I know it's amazing, isn't it? Nightmare. Yeah. Well, my sister uh, and used then, to yes, live British Grand Prix uh, the weekend after next week, and yeah. that'll be a big one. We'll see if uh, Mark Webber can, um, well, not just be consistent or not just fight his way through mm. the field, but actually. Um, score another win there, just like he did very emphatically in 2010. It'd be great to see, wouldn't it? So did you watch um, Valencia on the TV over there? Mm, I did. And it would have been nice being able to watch it in the middle of the afternoon instead of in the middle of the night. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's not too bad in Australia these days. We, we are no, getting it live, you know, from about... Nine o'clock. Uh, nine, nine or ten o'clock, so it's not too bad. Yeah. It's not like the bad old days when it was one in the morning. True. But it was fascinating watching it here because I was able to watch Sky Sports literally wall-to-wall coverage of Formula One. I mean, they have wow. a whole dedicated Formula One channel that goes 24-7. Is that right? Um, yeah, with replays and documentaries and historical features and everything. But their coverage of the race, I mean, essentially, if the race, well, the race started at 1 p.m., um, UK time and um, they're on air you know full on from 11.30 so you know an hour and a half build up Yep. and um, you know they leave no stone unturned and um, the best part of it was watching Martin Brundle's grid walk I mean that's something that in Australia we you know we miss out on a really good part of the telecast we get to hear Brundle as part of the commentary team but we don't see his grid walk where he wanders around and just grabs all and sundry and talks to them and pushes his nose in where it shouldn't be. <laughs> and he's, it's, he's really, Brundle's really good at that. And, you know, if they're around, he picks up all the celebrities and the big wigs and, you know, goes and, you know, gets comments from um, many of the drivers, you know, just minutes before they're setting off. It was quite funny this time. Um, he was doing an interview with uh, Pastor Maldonado. Right. And he had to do it on the run because Maldonado wanted to go to the loo. <laughs> and they headed off in one direction. And Brundle says, well, uh, Pastor, actually, 
if you go back and go through the gap in the fence back just back there, um, that's the quickest way to the to the toilet because it's just through there. <laughs> so they then turned around and walked back and were talking, but it was just quite funny that um, Brundle was giving Maldonado advice on where the best place to go and take a piss was before the race. <laughs> but it's brilliant stuff. Anyway, you know, the coverage was good. Yeah. Uh, as I actually said on Facebook, very rarely and unusually, um, the Sky's commentary team lineup is pretty good. It's led by, well, the actual race caller is a British commentator called David Croft, who used to anchor the BBC Radio 5 Live Formula 1 commentary. Yeah, for some I thought I knew the name. And, yeah. and, and you hear him, you know, on the uh, 10 coverage in Australia. And I reckon he's good. He's the, certainly the best commentator, race caller, that I've had since Murray Walker, you know, yes. in terms of, you know, English speaking commentators. Because um, you know, he compliments Brundle, who can do a bit of commentary as well, but is mainly there for his, you know, analysis and observations. Um, and Crofty, you know, enough excitement in his voice, you know, to make it interesting. Yep. Uh, you know, without being ridiculous and doesn't sort of, you know, try to make out that he's the, the big expert on Formula One, unlike some of his predecessors. But it's mainly there's a bit of excitement in his voice, and um, I think it works well. It certainly works well from our coverage point of view, but it's, from what you just said then, it seems like a real shame that we miss out on the Brundle grid walk. Maybe we should um, it's petition Channel 10. So, uh, yeah. There are various issues, I think. It's, I'm sure there would be, yeah. If only, well, technical, you know, because it's yeah. Sky are using, or previously it used to be the BBC and before the ITV, mm. you know, they're using their own cameras and their own feed from the grid walk, not the world feed, so... Right. Patching that into the TED coverage, it's you know they can patch in the audio yep. feed quite easily, but patching in um, this independent um, camera feed that they use for the grid walk would um, well, it's not impossible, yeah, but I think it's it's costly and and complicated, and, you mm. know, to be honest. And would they get it you back know, from a small population base like we've got? Probably not. Well, you know, I think can do the coverage as uh, economically as possible, shall we say. Yeah, well, that sounds fair. But it's interesting that the Sky commentary with David Croft and Martin Brundle and the rest of them, you know, it's it's interesting and informed, I think, and it just underlies what I've, underlines what I've always thought is that, you know, really, we should just get that, that uninterrupted. We don't need... You know the local input on the <laughs> yeah. ten telecast. You know, really. It'd be yeah, we don't need things up. And I, and I'm I'm sorry, with the best will in the world, I I don't really see what three guys sitting in a studio on the other side of the world mm. just can contribute reading to it. or seeing what we can all read and see. Yes. You know, either on the pictures from the feed or on the internet. Like, you know, I honestly just don't know what what they're contributing to the telecast. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, yeah. I don't know why you didn't feel the need to. They should just let it run and, you know, have Rusty there to top and tail it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense to me, folks. I'm with you. So, so uh, but anyway, you know, if you're, if you're a British Formula One fan and you're prepared to spend, you know, a bit of money to pay for the, you know, Sky Sports Formula One, um, well, the extra for your subscription, it depends on what level they friend of mine where I'm staying. That's what I was just going to ask. It's, it's part of, it's part of the, 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 the package. Um, uh, you know, one of the high-end packages already. But, you know, for a lot of people, it is an extra expense. You know, they, they were getting sure. it free on the BBC and, in fact, still do, for most of the races, get it free. If I'd wanted to, I would have switched over to BBC 
and watch their coverage of the um, European Grand Prix. You know, it wasn't as extensive and perhaps not as good, you know, because it commentary team was basically gutted mm. by Sky Sports. But it's there if you want to watch, you know, free to air. I think BBC are doing 10 of this year's 20 races live and the rest of them are, you know, highlights package on delay, re- yeah, yeah. highlights package later in the day. So yeah. it's still accessible to everyone, but, you, you know, for a lot of people, um, it's an expensive proposition to pay for the Formula One coverage. But if you're willing to, I think it's excellent value. Um, but the numbers, that the sheer numbers of people um, who watch the Sky Sports coverage in the UK is way down. I mean, because I think it's, some, what is it? Of all the TV households in Britain, 25, maximum 30% have Sky, have satellite. Right. You know, They're equivalent to our Foxtel. So the, num- the, the numbers watching Sky are never going to approach, you know, the numbers used to watch the BBC or mm. before that ITV or are watching, indeed watching BBC now. So, you know, it's a good service, um, but it's not reaching the sort of audiences um, itself that Formula One did. But the BBC deal means that, um, you know, big numbers of people are still watching Formula One in the UK. But, you know, more and more it's the way of the future. And, you know, Sky um, started all this, this, you know, move by big sports where allowed to go onto pay TV, you know, 20 years ago with the uh, Premier League English Soccer yes. Championship. Which, yep. In fact, they not only bought, they pretty much, you know, set up and funded. So, um, yeah, that's the... That's the uh, that's the deal here as far as television goes. So if well, you think, pay for it, you get a hell of a coverage. I think the logical um, way that that will eventually run will be it'll be on demand, streaming over the web to wherever in the world you want to watch it, and you just pick who uh, whose coverage you you want to uh, see, and you won't have to worry about subscribing to all the other crap. You know, you can just say, wouldn't surprise me at all if in like five years' time you would be able to buy. Uh, a subscription to the Formula One season, streaming video, and get Sky's coverage. Uh, you're probably right. The media landscape is changing so radically and rapidly, it's hard to keep track of it. But I mean, you can already do this with uh, NASCAR. You can, you know, buy online coverage. You know. Um, speaking of the media landscape changing rapidly, I, I just thought it would be. You know, this is a. You've been overseas a couple of times this year, or once before over Detroit, but, but this is probably a, one of your more extended trips, six, seven weeks. And I was just interested to, to get your perspective on, you know, perhaps looking back at, you know, the year, previous year when we went to uh, Indianapolis and the year before when we went to Le Mans, about how you are working with technology and it's the. Is it becoming easier to use? Are you because this is a very good video connection we're getting here tonight with you? Um, mm-hmm. Like it's it's not it's not glitching out and it, it's a it's a high quality video feed. Um, it, it, it's sort of it's a bit of, it's akin to sort of like you know you you have put brand new tyres on your car and then you don't realise how bad they are until you actually replace them because the change is so gradual. So think of that in slightly in reverse that you're starting out with bad tyres and you end up with good tyres. Are you, are you having a good experience with travelling around the world being wirelessly connected to what you need to be connected with? 
get it, it all works incredibly well when you have access, but more and more you're dependent on being able to get a Wi-Fi or, um, you know, mobile phone connection. Uh, and if you don't, um, well, you're stuck. So yeah, sure, but is completely it... dependent on this. And, and, you know, at any event like the Indy 500 or Detroit Grand Prix or Le Mans, you know, for the media at least anyway, there's free Wi-Fi access and uh, all over the place. So um, there's no problem there. But on the train coming back from, well, yeah, at the train stations and, you know, and at both Le Mans and Paris, you know, trying to get a Wi-Fi connection, um, there's supposedly free Wi-Fi around there. I could never get it to work. So I ended up having to, you know, not a huge amount of money, but I had to, you know, um, log on to a, a local Wi-Fi Wi-Fi service, you know, and pay to get a connection just to do some to, to do some simple things, um, which in itself was fine, except it wasn't a simple process, and ended up buying more wi accidentally buying more Wi-Fi time than I needed. Um, particularly when it was all in French, which didn't help. Oh, I can fully <laughs> understand. Um, but, that, yeah. but you know, the, the, you know, these are issues that are all around the world. I mean, most places, you know, I mean, you, a lot of places like McDonald's anywhere in the world, you can get free Wi-Fi. Many airports, you can get free Wi-Fi. Many other places, either the free Wi-Fi just defies connection <laughs> or, or you have to pay for it. Um, or if you're privileged enough, if you're, in a, you know, a member of a frequent flyer um, scheme and you're an elite member, um, you, you get free access in, in the airport lounges. So it's all there. And... In summary, yes, it does make things a lot easier when you are connected. When you're not, you're literally blind. Oh, look, quite so. I mean, anything that is free in a public environment is going to get saturated, and therefore it's sort of, you know, it's six of one half dozen of the other. That the it's so it's so great that everyone else gets into it that that just degrades it down to the point that it's it's not it's not really very suitable. And in fact. This is what I'm fearing what's going to be happening. We're going to get a major degradation of, um, of, of 3G data services here in this country when Apple releases iOS 6 saying that you will now be able to do FaceTime video over 3G. Well, you can imagine that the providers aren't keen on that because video is, is a, yeah, is a bandwidth hold, quite so, mm -hmm. JP. And um, and also it also it's a sort of you know you know it's souffle for them, isn't it? <laughs> like you know it's, it's going down real quick. They're just not getting their deal. Um, mm. That's a real worry. And so whilst I see that, and I'm not trying to get specifically into tech time here, but um, whilst I see that's a very innovative idea, it actually from from Apple's perspective, it it could actually hurt the overall public in the long term because it'll degrade the other services. So I suppose what I was really asking you was, like, you know, across the board, was it better one year down the track to move around with mobile technology like an iPad? Um, it's hard to tell. I'm trying to remember. You know, there wasn't any problem um, when, was it, when we were at Le Mans three years ago. Um, but, yes, I think essentially it's moved on and, and access is more widely available and if you know what you're doing you know it's relatively simple i have no qualms about paying for 
Wi-Fi connections, you know, if I'm, you know, somewhere out and, out and about, um, it's the ease of connection that annoys me sometimes. It's, you know, not as easy as it should be. Um, and the other problem is that, you know, the data rates, mm. what you pay mm. for using ro data roaming when you're overseas. Oh, that's you know, criminal. Australian mobile phone. It's just it's ridiculous. This is outrageous the amount of money they want. So, you know, I've turned it off. So that's no. one facility that's, uh, oh, quite that I'm so. not using simply because it is just such a ridiculous amount of money, you know, yeah. for very little benefit. So, you know, you tend to rely on the on your smartphone having a Wi-Fi connection. Well, but is it not is it not better off to just have a uh, you know pay as you go SIM that's valid in France, that's valid another one that's valid in the UK, <coughs> another one that's valid in the US, like AT and T, and and it's just you know pay by the month. And if you you know you come in, you go all right, here's your twenty bucks, and I'll get my three gig of data, and thanks very much. It expires at the end of the month, and I'm gone. But you've got your little SIM kit. I mean, ideally, and of course, it's a business. Strategy, isn't it, Jake? Oh, absolutely. Like, it would be great if someone had the world sim, but no one's going to do that because <laughs> Carlos sim doesn't want the Mexican, you know, the, the Mexican telecommunications. He, yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah. no pun intended. Yeah, well, you're right. You can do that. He, he doesn't want. He no. doesn't. He doesn't want the. Uh, he, he doesn't want the the, the, the uh, network in Spain being connected. Mm. You know, so many, and they love all this. 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 Yeah, crossing, crossing but they are extremely yeah. expensive. But you're right about, I mean, prepaid sims are the way to go when you're visiting a country. Um, it's sensible, and I, I've done that in the States. I don't have to do it here in the UK because I still have my old uh, mobile account still running from when I used to live here. You know, well, uh, that's lucky, folks, so, because um, establishing the account's the hardest bit. Well, that just means I've got a standard number in the UK that everyone knows. Which is but, great, yeah. Uh, there are some problems with the prepaid SIM scenario, however. One of them being it relies on you having an unlocked phone. Not everyone has an unlocked phone. True. You know, most people, in fact, have them on contract and they're lost, locked to the carrier. So, and also in the case of the iPhone, there are two different SIMs. If you've got an iPhone 4 or 4S, it's the micro SIM. Yep. So... You know, you have to go and, well, I guess that's, sorry, what I'm saying is that that's not hard in itself. They make prepaid micro SIMs. But if you have a second phone, like I usually run two phones, I've got my old iPhone 3G to use, you know, for the, for the prepaid SIMs. So I'm locked into the old fashioned SIM there. So what I'm saying is that between the two phones, and often if you're traveling on business, you're gonna have two phones, you know, you leave your Australian number running so people can contact you and you have a second phone. Um, because of the two different systems, you can't swap over. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's that's a, a, a limited liability, but it, to me it's a bit of a nuisance. I think um, you're right. Often, often, if you do the prepaid packages, sorry, John, um, you don't get data allowance. Like, I've got a good data allowance. Uh, you know, I had a 50 bucks for unlimited talk and text in the United States for a month. That's but good. if you've got a smartphone, you have to pay extra for data. It's only on what they call feature phones that you get the unlimited data. So, you know, there are traps for young players. But um, if the rates were more sensible, you'd be using, you know, the, the data allocation on your phone more than relying on Wi-Fi. Look, I think people that are global travellers um, have up-to-date <coughs> phones. And so I think the, the, the argument of having, a, a, you know, a, if you have a 
G or 3GS phone and you're a global traveller. I mean, hello. Yeah. Get a new phone. You know, and, and it's almost a case you could almost, you know, take one and, and stick one, get one white and one black, you know, stick them together, and it wouldn't actually be too bad a, bad a deal, would it? Like, it's, it's a little thicker, but you, okay, you're going to lose both at the same time. Well, there are some phones that actually take two SIMs. Yes. Um, oh, is that right? And also, I think you can get an accessory for for the iPhone or other smartphones that actually, you know, you plug in an extra SIM. So you can have dual SIMs on your phone if you really want to. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I was thinking that you just have the minstrel show. Yeah. <laughs> minstrel yeah. show. Very good. So what is, what is happening in tech time? Well, well okay, not, interesting not, things. Yeah, not a lot, in, apparently. Yeah, actually. Yeah, there is, actually. There's quite a lot happening. Well, there's, so. quite a lot, there's quite a lot happening, folks, because you've been busy over there with your head uh, in, uh, in other areas of, of motorsport. But um, uh, this week... In fact, yesterday, Google I.O., which is the uh, Google's version of the Worldwide uh, Apple Developers Conference, uh, launched three devices, effectively. Uh, well, not three devices, but the, the Nexus 7 phone uh, tablet, which is a 7-inch yes. tablet. Now, they're not competing with the iPad. Maybe it's a Kindle Fiery sort of thing, and they're, they're really at pain. Well, I reckon to, it's better than the Kindle Fire, but not up to iPad standards. Well, they, at no point but, are they yeah. saying that they are trying to compete with uh, the iPad, um, and the form factor is smaller. But it's you know it's an Android-centric device. But in conjunction with that, they're um, they're they're releasing what is the thing? Q. The Nexus Q, which is like a yeah. a round orb-shaped device, and if you, if you if you if you go to Radio Hot Lab's website, you'll see a, there's a, a link and some video content that explains how it works. It's a, a like a streaming media server. Um, it has a bit of cable clutter. Interestingly, built completely in America and used the expertise of a Wisconsin gun maker to craft the shape of it. Um, qu- quite, quite interesting, and mm. uses near-field communications, as do, as do the Android phones using uh, Android 4.1, a.k.a. Ice Cream Sandwich, and the new Nexus 7. So you basically only have to put your device near it, and it's sort of... Hooks up now, away. I haven't had a lot of experience with these uh, with with Android, and um, but I'm starting to get interested in it, and I think that it won't be very long before there is a, a major propagation going on there. Um, worthwhile having a look at the videos. I'm thinking by the time five O comes around, it's not so much a serious competitor; it's just a different choice. Of, of the way you would go with, with technology. But, you know, uh, there's just been so much press. And, of course, Apple can afford the press associated with the iOS. But it's a very much a walled garden. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. The, ma- the fragmentation of Android by having so many different operating systems, having to ha- supply, um, you know, solutions to different hardware devices with different screen sizes produce, creates a huge problem for developers. Um, Windows Phone is getting traction in a slight way. They're coming up with some very interesting devices, the Lumia 900, hardware, the hardware manufacturing. Microsoft said we're not going to be doing that this week. So, you know, let's look 12 months down the track. I'm starting to see 
there's some very much some maturing of the Microsoft platform. And hey, I wouldn't buy a Microsoft computer, but I've got an Xbox because it works. Yeah. And it works in that space, and I probably would be very happy for someone to hand me a uh, a Lumia 900 for me to have a have a play with, or one of their new um, uh, Microsoft Surfaces. And we talked about yeah, that a Surface bit, tablet, yeah. a bit J, JP last week. Yep, we did. And uh, it's you know the interesting thing about the Microsoft Surface though is the fact that they're actually producing it themselves. That sort of smacks a little bit of desperation. Microsoft traditionally doesn't make devices. It always only produces an OS and lets other people make devices. It's always done that in the PC space. And the and case of the, 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 phone space. the Google's the Google product, which is the tablet, is actually a, a third a, a built by Acer. But again, um, interestingly, uh, I don't think the Acer tablet is built in the US. No, I don't think it um, is. But no. the, but the uh, Nexus, the Nexus Q, is, Q yeah. is there. And as yeah. I said, you can check it out on the website. And there's links for all that sort of stuff. But a bit of a, bit of a renaissance going on there. Yeah, it's interesting, guys, that um, you know, the more viable alternatives to the Apple products there are, I think, in the long term, the better. And some of the others are certainly looking very attractive. And I'm certainly thinking about trying, you know, something like a Samsung Galaxy S3, maybe just to experience the difference. And the, I don't know, the Android platform seems to be um, more flexible and adaptable. You know, as you said, you're, you, you're caught in this warp, this Apple ecosystem, and it's very hard to get out of it sometimes. Listen, guys, I've got to bail. Um, no worries. Things to do. So, viewers, I'll leave you in the capable care of. Hardy and JP, they've got lots more interesting things to discuss and tell you about. So uh, I'll bail out, and boys, good to chat. Yeah, I'll, great to uh, chat, folks. Enjoy I'll the we'll British talk GP. Again when I get back in a couple of weeks. So have Th- fun absolutely. Thank, thanks, folks. But, but before you before you before you hang up, just what I was going to say on that note was that um, it, I agree with you about picking up another device. I mean. I just I know how my iPhone works. You know how your stuff and all the Apple stuff. And I go, I'm interested as well to just go. Okay, what's the experience like? Well, initially, you're going to go. Hang on, it doesn't make sense because it's not how what I'm used to. But I think it's a good exercise. So um, you know, that's a very good call. Thanks, mate. All right, guys. Have Cheers, a good folks. One. Good night, viewers. Good, good night, folks. Good afternoon, folks. <laughs> good morning. Well, good morning. He's on the wine. No, he's not. He is. Look at he's him. Not. <laughs> he's not on the way. He, he, he was on the coffee. 57 minutes and 53 seconds of blabbing. Well, well, on that basis, oh, oh. I reckon that's just about it. Unless you got some. Jelly bean. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I know. So that's about Now I've got nothing. I mean, tech time, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got to actually have a quick, a quick mention of a new cookbook that I got the other day. And it's a Donna Hay. Now, you know, Donna Hay has been around since the year dot here in Australia, writing cookbooks. But it just caught my eye, and it's the Donahue pork, beef, and lamb. Oh, meat cookbook. Every bloke wants the meat cookbook. And it's only a little, probably, I don't know, uh, four inches by six inches, or maybe six inches square, something somewhere around there. See, I'm really good on the hand metric. Um, so it's very handy size. Pocket but it's Yeah, but it's got some great recipes, some basic stuff, and it teaches you about cuts of meat as well. So... Go out and look for it, viewers. If you want just a, a quick, good bloke's guide to meat, Donna Hay cookbook. 
the meat guy. I think that's a great idea, JP. Mm. So there you go. Because we like meat. We do. But you know, it's so funny how we like meat in winter, but but we more seafoody in summer. Yeah, true. But that does that. But, the, but that's just the way it is because you always associate the seafood with the sun and the sand and the warmth and everything else, and you associate meat because you're bloody freezing cold and you need something to. Who you are. Speaking of meat, there's the rusty sausage. <laughs> completely looking very rusty. Who's uh, been starring quite significantly this week on uh, Radio Hotlap Instagrams. Yeah, well, uh, every week on Radio Hotlap Instagrams. Oh, well, she's our mascot. And well, she's uh, the very happiest dog in the land. He's had a, had a meal and a, and a, a very nice... Um, a very nice... Uh, oh... A very nice shank bone. We a should tell the bone. viewers that uh, we're very sorry to say, but it's not gone and lost forever that the fine wine buying manager, FWBM, oh, yeah. has moved to Melbourne and is no longer living in so the for house. for our of... Victorian viewers, you're going to be having a uh, FWBM over in Victoria. But he will he will be in, in touch and he, he will, will still be providing services. He hasn't left his stuff here, you know, he's... Yeah, still paying still, the bills. Yeah, yeah, he's still. So he's just he's still had to go over for work and girl purposes. That's right. Work, not necessarily work, in that order. Work and girl purposes. <laughs> no, she's not a working girl. But <laughs> isn't he? I thought he was. Oh, he might be. Oh, did I say that? Look, we're not going to go and have another lobster pizza, are we? No, I don't think so. But we might go and have a pizza. Oh, where? Oh, down at Angelo's. Chuckleable Charles. Are we going to do Chuckleable Charles again? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, it's Fortuna. Oh, no, I can't uh, be bothered to bloody drive to Fortuna. I'm sick of... I work, I, I work all day and oh, I, I clean go. the house here and I go. expect to be taken... I'm like an old housewife expect yeah, to be taken yeah, out. Yeah. right Anyway. Well, i better take you out then. That's it, viewers. And give you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right Well, good night, viewers. We hope you've enjoyed the Fogoir from OS... Oh, we should thank our sponsors. We should. Who are they? I don't know. Oh, S&J Automotive. Oh, yes. Well, okay. Well, are they sponsoring? You've got a nice exhaust. <laughs> it wasn't an exhaust. <laughs> it was an Ecutech tune. Oh, yeah. Well, did you get it done? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't get my wheel bearing fixed. Oh, no, you didn't. Well, yeah, I told you to get that sorted out. <laughs> Need that <Right>. done. <laughs> Bounce. We're cleaning out his car. That's right. They, they, know, clean, they do a great job of Daughter crashed it. Her daughter crashed it? Yeah. Oh, really? Five days in. Oh, fantastic. Written off. Written off? Can't write. Yep, written off. Oh, man. Thanks for going. Well, there you go. Who else? Godfather spent the money. (laughs) The Godfather. (laughs) Took it out of it. (laughs) Anyway, the viewers don't want to hear all this crap. Uh, Who else? Power on solutions. (laughs) You're really scraping the barrel now, aren't you? Jezzelaine, the movie. Jezzelaine, yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Jezzelaine. Uh, Lars's Moldavian Air Taxi. Yes. I sort it. iCloud. That's it. Hot Lap, of course. Of and course. Uh, Smelly Simons and uh, Baby Shower Enterprises. That's it. That's what he's into these days, because after it didn't work well, out. Well, we haven't heard a bloody word from him, have we? I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot from him the other day. You I did find it. Yep, but okay. let me tell you, it got shut off. Okay. After there was a moan right, right. from the fire. Fair enough. A moan on the fire. Good night, viewers. Good night, viewers.